Galatians chapter 5, and I just want us, uh, as we begin this morning, I just want to remind you of Galatians uh, chapter 5 and uh, verse 1 again. Let me just read that to us. Galatians 5 verse 1 says this to all those who are in Christ. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The truth of this verse is for those who have trusted in Christ, for those who have put their faith totally in Christ, you are set free. There is no more condemnation for you. God says over you that you are not guilty. Because of Christ and the freedom that you have in Christ, God says over you that you are holy. Because of the freedom that you have over Christ, God no longer calls you an enemy. God calls you a friend. And you are free. And when Christ sets you free, you are free indeed. Never, ever to be caught up again in the works of the law. That is the truth and position that we stand firm in. That is what we hold as Christians and we never let it go. But the question for us this morning is this, what do we do with that freedom? Because when we believe and trust in Christ, Christ has set us free and we're called in that verse to stand firm in our freedom. But the question is, what do we do with that freedom? Do we just stay still and stand firm and do nothing with the freedom that we have in Christ? Or how should we respond to our freedom? And as I was thinking of this reality of how we should respond to our freedom, I was thinking of this um, fellow that I heard of a while ago. His name is Archie Williams. And Archie Williams, he is, he is from the States. And, and, and one night he was walking down the streets. He's still alive. He was walking down the streets. And as he was walking down the streets, the police pulled over and they arrested him. They arrested him on murder and rape charges. And he was convicted and he was sentenced to life in prison because of the charges. While he was in prison, a charity got in touch with him. They are those who are trying to help people out of prison who have been falsely accused. And it turns out 36 years later, with better DNA evidence, with better fingerprint evidence, and all of that, it turns out that he was not guilty. Another man's DNA was all over the scene. Another man's fingerprints were all over the scene. And he was not guilty. And he was falsely arrested and imprisoned for 36 years. Now imagine this. If he was in prison for 36 years, and after that 36 years, he was set free from his prison. And when he was set free from his prison, he went home. And what he decided to do when he went home with the rest of his life is he'd go into his bedroom, sit down, lock his door, and stay in his room for the rest of his life. You would say that would be absolute foolishness. You would say that that man is wasting his freedom. He's been set free. He's been released after all these years. And yet all he does is sits down in a room, locks himself in the room and says, well, I'm free. That would be absolute foolishness. 
And yet what can happen to us as Christians is this. We believe and we trust in Christ. We give our lives over to Christ. And we say, well, Christ has set me free. I'm free. I'm getting into heaven. And so we just stand in that freedom and we do nothing with the freedom that we have. Whereas what Christ would have us do is do something with that freedom. We have been set free to live for Christ. We have not been set free by our works, but we certainly have been set free to work for Christ. And so this is what he is getting us at in this, in this chapter that we have before us, in these verses that we have us bef before us this morning. What are we called to do with our freedom? And I want us to look at the end of our passage and the beginning of our passage this morning. Because at the end of our passage and at the beginning of our passage, we're going to learn how we can use our freedom and how we can abuse our freedom. The freedom that we have in Christ, this passage at the beginning and at the end will tell us how we can use our freedom and how we can abuse our freedom. Look at verse 13. This is the beginning of the passage. For you are called to freedom, brothers. That's what we're called to. Christ has set us free. You're called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Here's what we learn in these verses, at the beginning of these verses, how we can abuse our freedom and how we can use our freedom. How can you abuse your freedom? Only, he says in verse 13, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, what he's saying in relation to flesh is do not use your freedom as an opportunity to gratify your own human desires. In other words, do not say this. I'm free. Christ has set me free. I'm going to heaven anyway. So I may as well live my life however I want to live my life. I may as well make my own decisions and satisfy my own desires. And each day I can live my life however I want. And at the end of the day, I can just repent anyway. And at the end of my life, I can just repent anyway. So I'm good. That would be an abuse of our freedom. Paul put it this way, shall I continue to sin that grace may abound? So Paul, in Romans, at the beginning of Romans, he goes, grace, 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 shows them grace, shows them the beauty and wonder of the gospel. And then he says to them, shall I continue to sin that grace may abound? He answers, by no means. Absolutely not. So when Paul is speaking in reality to the fact that we don't live under the law in Galatians, he's not saying that we don't honor God and honor God's commands. What he's saying is this, you make sure you know your freedom and you stay in that freedom and you know your position and you know who you are. That's what I've been hammering on about the last few weeks. You stay in that freedom. I didn't caveat it. I didn't say what. I wanted you to know your freedom. And then... I want you to know the response to that freedom. That you wouldn't use it as an opportunity to, to sin. Actually, what you would do, not abuse your freedom, what you would do is you would use it to love and serve one another. I'm free, 
for a purpose. I have been set free to glorify God and to love and serve others. That's why you've been set free. Now there are two words in these verses that I want you to see. They're quite important because it's a theme in the scripture. It says at the end of verse 13, love and serve one another. Those are the two words, one another. And then we see it again in verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This one another, this phrase, these two words, one another, it's a theme that you find in Scripture. And the Bible, the Bible is so incredible. The Bible is one full book of 66 books, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. It, is, it, it was written over, over a period of 1,600 years by 40 different authors in three different languages, Greek, Hebrew and Aramaic on three different continents and yet when you put all of this scripture together what you see is there must have been another author behind the authors because there's no way that all of this could gel together and the other author behind the authors was the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has sought to have this theme one another theme flow throughout scripture to instruct us what we should do with our freedom and what you should do with your freedom is the one another's that we hear in Scripture. And I want to read out some of these one another's to you. And I might send uh, these Scriptures to you um, when you get home or whatever, if you'd like. You don't have to write them all down. But I just want you to get a picture of this theme of one another's. And this is how we are to use our freedom. We are to use our freedom in this way. To honour one another in Romans 12.10. To welcome one another in Romans 15.7. We are to use our freedom to show hospitality to one another, 1 Peter 4.9. To fellowship with one another, 1 John 1.7. To agree with one another, 2 Corinthians 13. To live in harmony with one another, Romans 12.16. We are to use our freedom to be at peace with one another, Mark 9.50. To be kind to one another, Ephesians 4.32. To bear with one another, Ephesians 4.2. To bear up one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2. To comfort one another, 2 Corinthians 13.11. To forgive one another, Ephesians 4.32. To care for one another, Corinthians 12.25. To confess our sins to one another, James 5.1. To encourage one another, 1 Thessalonians 4.18. To build one another up, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. To exhort one another, Hebrews 3.13. To instruct one another, Romans 15.14. To pray for one another, James 5.16. To teach and admonish one another, Colossians 3.16. To sing to one another. We have been set free to not only sing to God, but to sing to one another, Ephesians 5.19. To stir one another up toward love and good works, Hebrews 10.24. To do good to one another, 1 Thessalonians 5.15. To be humble toward one another, 1 Peter 5.5. 5. To submit to one another, Ephesians 5.21. And we have been set free to speak the truth to one another. Ephesians 4.25 Do you think God is saying something to us? We're to think about each other. Once we're saved, 
Once we're free, we're not supposed to use that freedom for ourselves. I'm free, great. I'm going to come to church, sing about that freedom for myself, read the Bible for myself, celebrate that and make it all about me. No, we were saved and we were set free to be all about God and other people, to be outward in our lives, to absolutely love one another. And all of those one another themes, the greatest one another theme in the scripture is exactly that. What we have in this verse, in verse 13, true love, serve one another, this idea of loving one another. Again and again throughout the scriptures, love one another. All of those ones that I read out to you, kind of once or twice they might be there. But love one another, it's there, it's there 10, 12, 13, 15 times. I didn't exactly count it, but it is there a lot. We're called to love and serve one another. So that's the question. Are you doing that with your freedom? Are you loving serving each other with your freedom because you have been set free to do exactly that and you know what in our church i am really encouraged to see that loving and serving one another happen here because i believe it does happen here you know when when we come in the morning people have loved and served us they've set up these chairs they have loved and served us They've set up this sound, they've loved and served us. They make sure that we get a parking space, block out the other church. They've loved and served us. It's a a nice, I don't know if that's even right, but I don't know. I don't know. The Lord knows, we'll leave it to you. It's been agreed, but anyway, I'm not going to excuse that. But we love and serve one another, and that's right, and that's good. And it's great to see. Even by you being here this morning, your very presence here this morning, do you know what you're doing? You're loving and you're serving others. It means a lot for you to be here. It encourages others. We're called to sing to one another. If you were on your own, it wouldn't be that encouraging. Called to do these things, to love one another. That is the use of our freedom. And I would encourage you as a church to keep going. The abuse of our freedom, you see that in verse 15. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Very different words, right? Bite, devour, consume. Okay, I'm not worried that we're actually going to physically bite each other, right? I'm not worried about that necessarily. But what kind of picture does that have in your head? That you would bite, that you would devour, that you would consume. That's like an animal going for its prey, right? The animal bites, devours, consumes. Don't do that to each other. Don't go after each other, bite each other, consume each other, wreck each other. No, instead we're to love each other. And if you were to do that with your freedom, that is an abuse of your freedom. And we're called to love one another. And then at the end of this passage, verse 25, you see again the use and the abuse of our freedom. Verse 25. Chapter 5. If we live by the Spirit, this is the use of our freedom. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. 
So at the beginning of this chapter, you have this idea of love one another, and at the end of this section, you have this idea of not provoking or envying one another. In fact, I think that's probably one of the opposites of love is to envy others. And when you look at this one another theme, one of the greatest concentrations of this one another theme is, is this passage that we have of these, this statement. Do not envy each other. When we envy, there's two things that are happening. When we're envious of what someone else has or who someone else is, there's two things that are happening. I am not thankful for what God has given me. So I'm not praising God for what he has given me. And I'm wanting and desiring what God has given to someone else. So I'm rejecting God on, on both accounts. I'm saying, God, what you've given me isn't good enough. And what you've given them, I want. And so that's envy. And we're called not to have that. And it's so, so difficult, isn't it? To, to see what other people have, to see their lives, to see that what they possess, to see their house, their car, their, the way their children behave, their, you know, their marriage, like all these things, we can see in other people and we be, can become envious. And what we're called to do is actually love. So what helps us with that? I think practically what can help us not to envy other people is to remain thankful for what God has given us. Instead of wanting the house that someone else has, how about we be thankful for the roof that we have over our head? Because we do have a roof over our head. It might be the nicest roof, it might be the best roof, but I'm pretty sure I know everybody here has a roof over their head. Let's thank God for that. We have food on the table. It might be the nicest food. It might be the best food. But thank God for that. That will be an antidote to your envy if you continually thank and praise God for what he has given you. Celebrate what he has given you and thank him for that. And then on the flip side, with the person you're envious of, celebrate what they have. Celebrate what God has done in their lives and tell them. Praise God for it and praise God for their gifts and encourage them. That's a way you can love them. And you say, Shane, how on earth can I truly do that? How can I truly, truly love other people, not seek to buy or devour them, and not envy other people? It's so hard. When you see the pictures online, when you see the videos online, when you see their lives, it's so hard. I mean, this summer, right, you're going to see people's holiday pictures. I challenge you, when you see the holiday photos, I challenge you not to be envious. It is close to impossible. It's very, very hard in the world that we live in. Not to want what other people have. So how on earth am I going to do that? Because it happens to me all the time. The answer is by the Spirit. Verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And that is what he is getting at. How we use our freedom properly and not abuse our freedom is to live by the Spirit and not to live by the flesh. The only way you are going to use your freedom properly, it will not be, I can guarantee you, it won't be by your own strength. It will only be by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And that's what the middle of our passage says. How we use our freedom is by the Holy Spirit. And how we abuse our freedom is by the flesh. Look at the middle of the passage. Verse 16 down to verse 24. Let me read it to you. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. How do we use our freedom? You use your freedom by walking in the Spirit. How do we abuse our freedom? We abuse our freedom by walking in the flesh. What does it mean to walk in the flesh? To follow after my own human desires, passions, wants. And this is the great call. How am I possibly going to do any of this stuff that it calls me to do in response to my freedom? It is by the Spirit. Look at verse 16. Walk by the Spirit. Look at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit. Look at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. How do you do the Christian life? It is not by your own strength. Your own power. If you do that you will fail. It is only. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit. We rely on Him to lead and guide us. We rely on Him to draw us to Jesus. And we rely on Him, the Holy Spirit, to point us to Jesus. It is by His power that we do these things. And I want you to, I can't hone in on everything in all of these verses, but I want you to see verse 16, because verse 16 is one of the most incredible verses as to how we are to use our freedom. It says this, but I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So you could look at this verse, verse 16, and you could say, well, that's a command. That is commanding me to walk by the Spirit. But it is more than a command. If you look at that verse properly, what does it say? But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That means this verse is not a command. This verse is actually a promise. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the passions and the desires of your flesh. You say to me, well, 
Is he kind of arguing for perfectionism? Can I be perfect in this life? If I walk by the Spirit, can I be perfect in this life? No, you will not. There will always be a battle with the flesh. He is not arguing for perfectionism. He is arguing in this verse for against defeatism. You see, because what happens to us is sometimes we get caught so much in our flesh and so much in our sin that we as Christians, we kind of just give up the fight. We say, well, I'm free. I'm going to heaven anyway. I'm really struggling with this sin. Can't defeat it. So I'm just going to give up. This promise says, no, no. You're set free to walk by the Spirit. And if you do, walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Which means this, sin once ruled over you, but now by the Spirit, you can say no to whatever sin creeps into your life. That means whatever sinful habit you have, whatever is going on right now in your life, whatever you are struggling with right now, God the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to enable you to say no to that. God never calls us to something that he doesn't empower us to do. That's the glory of these verses. And so if we were to abuse our freedom, how do you abuse our freedom? You abuse the freedom by walking in the flesh. And he gives out these lists of how it looks to walk in the flesh and walk in the spirit. The list of walking in the flesh starts at verse 19. Look at it. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envies, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If we were to do those things, we are abusing our freedom. Now you look at the, this list, and what I think is helpful with this list is not necessarily always to look at every single word, but, but there are kind of categories. There's a guy called Tom Schreiner. He talks about these categories that you can put this list into. The first category would be sex in relation to the flesh. The first three, sexual immorality, impurity, and the like. The second would be worship or worship or idolatry or sorcery. Sorcery is kind of like magic, that you're looking for another source for your power. That's kind of our worship, our idolatry. The third relates to relationships, you know, envy, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, um, envy. And the third kind of relates to the party life, I guess, the addiction life. Drunkenness, orgies, orgies, probably a better word would be party, something like that. Carousing, if you want to use a posh word for it. These are the things of the flesh. Now what's interesting about these things is if you look at even just those categories. Sex, worship, brokenness in relationship, parties, all those types of things. When you look at that list that he lists out for us. All of them seem like a very big trap when you get caught in it, right? So, so with sex and sexual immorality, 
People often get caught up in, in relationships and the like that are wrong and not pleasing to God or, or pornography or these types of things that seem like an absolute trap. Can't get out of it. Or idolatry, maybe it's like um, worship of material things. It seems like a trap that I, I can't get out of it. Or with our relationships, when, when we're jealous just all the time. And when we're angry just all the time. Feels like I can't get out of it. And with, with drunkenness and addictions and, and those types of things, the partying, it feels like you're trapped and you cannot get out of it. And sometimes we as, a, as Christians, even in our freedom, we can get caught up with some of this stuff. And it feels like we're trapped. But if you go back to the problems of verse 16, it says this. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So you say, I always get jealous. I, ca I can't solve it. By the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, through Him, you can. I get angry all the time. Can't solve it. No, by the power of the Spirit, yes, you can. I'm addicted to pornography or whatever it is, or drunkenness or any addiction that you may have. And you say, I just can't get out of it. I love Jesus. I know I have freedom in Christ. I can't get out of this one. No, this verse would say, by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So the encouragement for us is to not give up on the fight and rely on the power of the Spirit to lead and guide us. And the warning that's given, he says this, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what that warning does for Christians is it should not make Christians doubt their salvation, should not make us doubt our freedom, but what it does is it wakes us up. The warning is this. Those who do that type of stuff, they don't get into the kingdom. And when the Christian hears that and sees, I'm doing this stuff, it wakes us up. That's not me. That's not the life I want to live. I want to live for him. So we turn. For the non-Christian, this warning gives them the sense of, you will not have eternal life if you keep going down this path. So the warning for us is not to abuse our freedom by walking in the flesh and doing these things. How do we use our freedom? By walking in the Spirit. Look at the last verses I'll share with you. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have, been, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So how do we respond to our freedom? We live by the fruit of the Spirit, which is by the power of the Spirit. And when you think of the fruit of the Spirit, you shouldn't think of like a bowl of fruit and loads of different fruit that's there. The reality is, he says, by the works of the flesh, plural, but when he comes to the fruit of the Spirit, it's singular. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. You shouldn't think of multiple fruits. You should think of the fruit of the Spirit. You've got one fruit, and all these things are coming from that one fruit. And what this is, is not what you produce in yourself. So you walk home and say, kind, 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 kind. Loving, 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 loving. Joy, 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 joy. And you just say that to yourself loads of times and you will have all that in the bag. That's not what you can do. 
If you go home rehearsing that every day, I just need to remind myself every single morning, joy, 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 you're not going to be able to do it. Why? Because it's the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruit of Shane D. Not the fruit of anybody else. It is the fruit of the Spirit that the Spirit produces in us. So we go to Him and we say, God, Holy Spirit, would you empower me? I hate my jealousy. I hate my lust. I hate my anger. And I'm not going to give up on it anymore. But I need your help. So produce in me some of this stuff. I don't see how it can happen. But I believe in your power. Because Holy Spirit, you raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. You raised me to new life. And you pointed me to Jesus. So I trust in your power to do it. That's what we should do. And you could look at these as categories as well. There's a guy called John Stott. He says, you know, the first three could be Godward. Love, joy, and peace. So, so God is my ultimate love. God is my ultimate joy. God is my ultimate peace. So I, I bear that fruit. And then, and then the next three, uh, uh, patience, kindness, and goodness. That's, that's kind of man word, he would say. So that helps me focus on other people, patience with other people, kindness with other people, goodness to other people. And then the next one's their kind of self-word in terms of my, my own faithfulness, my own gentleness, and my own self-control. It's a possible way you could look at it to be helpful. But I guess one of the most helpful ways to look at it is actually the order of things. Because I believe, what I, I can't argue for the other, others in the order, but I believe there isn't an accident in what is put first. Paul, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love. I think that's no accident. Because what Paul, in verse 14, chapter 5, he talks about a summary of the law. And how does he summarize the law? Love. And Jesus... When he's summarizing the law, how does he summarize the law? Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Love. And when you look at those one another's that we looked at, what's the most common one another in all of scripture that we are to do to one another? It is love. That's what we're called to do. And how can we possibly love in the way we should love? How is that possible? Because he first loved us. It is in Christ. And we see Christ's crucifixion on the cross. And we say, he loves me. And therefore, I should love others. And I can only do it by the power of the Spirit. And he concludes with verse 24, which is hard for us to grasp. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And you say to yourself, well, I believed and trusted in Jesus. And then this verse tells me that I have crucified the flesh with Jesus. But what's the problem? I still respond to the flesh. Still have the flesh. So how is it possible that I crucify the flesh with Christ? Passions and desires. It is the reality and the already not yet struggle of this world. What I mean by that is this. Has Satan been defeated? Yes. Is he fully defeated? Not yet. Because Jesus is going to come back and absolutely destroy him when he's done. 
Are we saved now, right now? Absolutely yes. But are we waiting for our salvation? Yes. There's an already and there's a not yet. Are we holy? Right now, you're holy. You are. You're declared holy in Christ. But are you perfectly holy? Like you'll be in heaven? Absolutely not. And that's the already not yet of the Christian life. So have I been crucified with Christ? Has my flesh been crucified with Christ? Absolutely yes. My flesh no longer has the power over me, rule and reign over me that it used to have. And one day, it will be absolutely done. It's the already and not yet battle of the Christian life. So, brothers and sisters, what do we do with our freedom? It can be really intimidating, right? Whenever I make a list, I don't actually write down lists. People who know me know that. I have head lists, right? So I make head lists. When I make head lists, they overwhelm me. Right now, I'll just be honest with you, who cares? Right now, with the list that I've got in my head, I feel overwhelmed. So here's what happens to me. Got the list in my head, overwhelmed by the list in my head. What do I do? Throw the list away and try and forget about it. Even though I have all this stuff that I'm supposed to do. What can happen to us when we see these lists, we say, I'm lustful, I have anger all the time, I have jealousy all the time, I, I, you know, I fail in all these areas, so that's failure on that list. And then look at joy and kindness and peace and fail on that list. And it seems all overwhelming. And so what we do is we give up the Christian fight. Can't do all that. Impossible. Let's read on in our Bible reading. Can't do that. Well, the verse says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's a promise. It is not by your power. It is not by your mind. It is by Him. The power of the Holy Spirit. So brothers and sisters, let's use our freedom to walk by the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. I thank You that You, Lord Jesus, are the one who empowers us by Your Spirit to live for You and you alone. And so, Lord, I pray that we would not abuse our freedom, but we would use our freedom and battle each day by the power of your Spirit to live for you. Help us this morning not to doubt our salvation or our freedom. Help us to rely simply upon you, our King. In your name I pray all these things. Amen.